Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and uh, have a couple things uh, to mention as we uh, pray and, and get ready there, get situated there. Um, the first is we have, uh, have, have collected or you have brought in 54 boxes um, for um, uh, Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. And so they're stacked on the back. So thank you very much, church, for giving to the Lord and for loving those around the world who are less fortunate in, uh, you know, kind of these uh, monetary ways that we uh, think of. And so um, your gifts will be a blessing and they're an act of worship uh, to the Lord. And so thank you, Lord, or thank you. Well, thank you, Lord, for giving through your church, right, uh, to meet the needs of, uh, of so many. So I also want to mention a couple of prayer requests. Um, uh, our brother and uh, encourager, encouragement to us, Bill Cummings, is uh, is not well. He's had a couple of falls, and um, for the last few weeks now, it just has not. They've taken a toll on him, and uh, he's not doing well. He's been in the in, in the hospital for about a week, uh, several weeks ago, uh, and then home, and then had another um, less uh, significant fall, but a fall nonetheless, and has been home since. And so, just pray that the Lord would heal him uh, and bring him back to his uh, his full health. Um, he is such a I don't think that anybody see, right? One of these people, you just think anytime I see them, it doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They're always an encouragement to me. And I'm here, I'm trying to maybe encourage them sometimes. And I'm like, oh, he won again in a good way, right? Uh, also, I sent an email about this yesterday. just want to encourage you to be praying for um, Trudy Warren, if you will. Um, Trudy uh, learned recently that she has a, a, um, a football-sized tumor on one of her ovaries, and it's of the size and orientation that it's putting some pressure on her lungs and causing some pain, making it difficult to breathe. And so um, please pray for her. Specifically, there, uh, she needs to have surgery either in Iowa City or at the Mayo Clinic. And um, Iowa City is booked up until December 17th. So we're asking the Lord either to open, make, up, make an opening uh, in Iowa City or, uh, or at the Mayo Clinic prior to that date so she can get in there as soon as possible. Um, so please um, storm the gates of heaven, if you will, for our sister and for Bill as well. Uh, and let's ask the Lord um, to, to, to provide that for them. And also pray for peace in the midst of um, just a scary season for them, a scary uh, time just with uncertainty. She's trusting in the Lord. She has peace in the Lord. Uh, but we just want to ask the Lord to continue to give her that peace. Uh, but of note uh, for that, sometimes our temptation is to want to call and reach out and see how we can love and serve and encourage and also find out how she's doing and what has transpired. And, um, and so we're going to ask you not to, and she's asked us not to um, call her specifically, not because she doesn't want to talk with people, but because it's hard for her to speak. Uh, as an asthmatic, I don't know that I can say I relate to what she's going through. I won't go that far. But when you're struggling, it's difficult to speak, and it takes a lot of energy. And, and when you're struggling to breathe, um, it's hard to talk and repeat the same information repeatedly. So Sandy Copen is uh, going to be her point of contact. So thank you, Sandy, for loving our sister in that way. And so if you have any questions about anything, reach out to Sandy, and Sandy will be happy to relay information and relate your care. And also, as uh, Sandy has updates, um, and I've been told she's going to stay updated. Right, Sandy? <laughs> Good. Thank you. Uh, so reach out to Sandy and give Sandy a call, um, and uh, that'll be a blessing. Uh, I don't think a card takes energy to, to respond to. So if, if the Lord lays it on your heart to send her or Bill a card, I know that'll be an encouragement too. So without any further ado, let's go before the Lord and ask him for help in these situations. Lord, we are dependent on you. We're dependent on you for life. 
We're dependent on you for every breath that we take, even as our hearts are beating and uh, our lungs are functioning right now, and so much in our bodies are functioning that we aren't even able to articulate. Uh, We're able to hear and respond and move around, and we are completely and utterly dependent on you. And so, Lord, we come before you with um, interceding for our sister and our brother. We pray, Lord, that you would um, heal Trudy's body. You are the God who made her. You fashioned her in her mother's womb. And you know more than anyone exactly what she needs. And you can heal. And we also recognize that it's not always your will to heal us miraculously. You often use physicians in the process. And so, Lord, we pray for an opening for surgery for her quickly. We pray that you would make a way for her to get that exact care that she needs. We pray that you would keep her well in the meantime, Father. And we pray for her and for Ron and for their family that you would um, help them to continue looking to you in the midst of a discouraging and fearful season. Lord, we pray for Bill as well. As these falls have taken a bit of a toll on him, Lord, we pray uh, for his physical restoration, that his energy would come back, that he would, um, uh, well, you know again what he needs. And so we ask you, Lord, to heal him um, so that this uh, would not take too great of a toll on our brother. And we thank you for both Trudy and for Bill Cummings and the encouragement they are to us and to so many um, who know them. Thank you for their love for you and the way that you've worked in their heart. And um, as we turn to look into your word now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to be interested and engaged in the things that you have for us this morning. Uh, Your word is powerful, effective, living, And you work through your word as we lean in to understand you through your word. And so we ask for your help. Lord, as as a proclaimer of your truth, I ask you for help uh, to be able to clearly and and helpfully declare what you have given us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already opened your Bibles to Ephesians uh, 6, chapter 10, go ahead and do so. You'll, You'll find that on page 920 in one of the black uh, seatback Bibles near you, or uh, on any app that you would like to open, uh, you will find these verses. So um, let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read this the whole context for our text for today, beginning in verse 10 through verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish 
all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim uh, the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains, which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. And Lord, bless the reading of your perfect word. If you were if you were to go uh, shopping and you wanted to go shopping for shoes, uh, you would find no shortage of what you needed. If you were to go online, of course, you'd find loads and loads of them. But even if you went to a a, a brick and mortar shop uh, in in town here, you would find plenty of what you need. You'd find shoes for all, every kind of activity. So you would know ahead of time, and you would go to the appropriate store based on what you needed. If you needed dress shoes, you'd go to a store that uh, had that right kind of of shoes there. And I know typically shoe uh, you know shoe stores carry a variety of shoes, but if there's something particular to need, you're going to go to the right place for that, right? There's very specialized shoes for a variety of athletic activities, right? If you think of a certain sport, you're going to go and you're going to get cleats for that sport or um, shoes for the golf course or uh, running shoes that are very specific for the shape of your foot and um, the uniquenesses of, of, of your foot. Or if you've been injured in the past, even ways that they help you compensate uh, for injuries that you might have. There are many, many options, But more important than shoes for those kinds of activities, we think about shoes for those who need them for safety, for those whose whose life may depend on it or their safety may depend on it for their particular job, right? They may need a certain level of protection. So you're going to get a certain kind of a boot or a steel toe boot or different kinds of flexibility that might be needed on a certain kind of, of job. More specifically, a soldier needs a certain kind of footing. They need a certain kind of protection and stability, and so they're going to need a certain kind of, of boots for marching through maybe, maybe uh, rough roads, uh, difficult terrains, hot seasons. And so you're going to have a protective shoe that may still have uh, the right level of, uh, uh, of air, uh, aeration is not the right word, but we're going to go with it because you get the idea of what it means, right? Being able to have, um, I can't think of the phrase I'm trying to look for, but... Anyway, um, if, if a soldier is in battle uh, and he has to think about feet that are sore, and, and I don't mean to imply that because soldiers can get the right footing, they don't ever have sore feet. <laughs> You'd be getting the wrong idea there, uh, or I'd be communicating the wrong idea. But if they're thinking about blistered feet, they're not thinking about the potential enemy that is in front of them. They're not thinking about their weapon or their brothers or sisters that are on either side of them fighting for the cause that they're fighting for. They're distracted. And so it would be in Paul's day, uh, while they didn't have landmines to worry about, they would have a, a certain kind of, of, of sandal or footing uh, that they would wear. They didn't have, like I said, the landmines to worry about, but they, they did need to worry about as they were walking along the road where there would be maybe traps and they would uh, dig down in the dirt and put up uh, spikes underneath the dirt and maybe they would cover it, in, cover it in branches. And so they had to have more than your average everyday uh, first century sandal, um, but they had these sandals that would have uh, uh, the sandals with an ankle support, and then um, what we would see as decor- decorative today 
um, these laces that they would tie up their ankle, and they would tie them nice and tight and get good ankle support there too. But they would also put these nails or spikes, small, small spikes, uh, that would come out of the bottom of their sandal so that they would have good footing on the road as well, also being protected from the uh, potential, like I said, spikes that might be buried underneath the road or, or off the road. It was called a caliga, a half boot, that they would wear. Knowing that we're living in an evil day, as Paul has already talked about, right? He is talking about the importance for us to be wearing the right kind of armor for the battle. And he doesn't say just grab this tool or that piece of armor. He's saying, gear up, church. Gear up, Christian. Wear the right kind of armor, which is the whole armor of God. We're to wear all of it all the time, right? We have talked about, as we talked about last week, having fastened on the belt of truth in verse 14, the first aspect of the armor of God, which is uh, both by the Bible's truth-filled, uh, or the Bible's, yeah, the Bible's truth, uh, as well as a truth-filled attitude. So it's the content of the truth of the Word of God, as well as an attitude of truthfulness uh, in all things. It's a disp- disposition of honesty and truthfulness. We've put on the breastplate of righteousness and we stand in Christ's righteousness as those who are to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We are to be continually putting on the new man. And so we're going to see even this reference and pivoting uh, right in between chapters 4 and chapter 6 to help us even understand uh, that as we continually go on. We're to put on the new man created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're committed as followers of Christ to be imitators of God, right? There's only one God. There's only one Son who is perfect. So we're not going to be perfect in it, but we're to strive to imitate God in, in all that we do, in all that He calls us to do. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please Christ. And so there's no room for passivity saying, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it perfectly, so why even try? No, Paul says in everything, we make it our aim to please the Lord. And so now he reminds us in 6.15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So this is the third aspect of the armor of God, which focuses on this readiness or preparation that we have in the Lord as those who are made ready already for spiritual battle uh, as children of God who bear and are marked by God's peace. This is a reference that Paul dry, uh, pulls from Isaiah 52, 7. Uh, you, this may be a familiar verse to, to you. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, there's some debate about whether or not this verse is speaking about uh, a readiness to proclaim the gospel or that the readiness of the gospel of peace, which is the literal translation of that phrase, is the preparation or the readiness or the footing that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, we have received the gospel that has given us peace between us and the Lord and us and other believers, and therefore we have been made ready to stand firm 
in the gospel. I don't think the two possibilities are at odds with one another. And in fact, as we move through the text, the context help us see where in one sense it can apply in a defensive, be ready, have solid footing standpoint, as well as uh, being ready, having solid footing as we're moving into enemy territory with the gospel. You might even view it like that. Right? If, if it speaks primarily of this readiness to proclaim the gospel, this is a, this, a, an offensive position, right? Moving forward and outward with the gospel message, always being ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, which brings peace. And as Peter tells us, to do it in a way that is uh, with gentleness and with respect, as we're always to be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have, right? And he's speaking about in the context of suffering, always be ready. In, this, in the midst of trials, always be ready. So that the way that you live your life communicates peace with the Lord. It communicates a sense of being at ease, that we're trusting in the Lord for his good uh, goodwill and, and working for our good and for his glory, so that even in the midst of difficulty, darkness, trial, afflictions, people are able to look at our lives and see that our hope is not based on, on how we understand the, the local or present circumstances. That we're not, that we're not driven to, to despair. We're not stuck in an area where the circumstances of our life diminish our ability to communicate that our hope is really in the Lord, not in our circumstances. And in fact, when we agree with this, what we're saying is actually, it's not that my walk with the Lord makes all of my circumstances rosy. It doesn't. We spent some time this morning praying for a brother and a sister in the church, and there are many other needs in our church family. Christians struggle. Christians suffer. Just like unbelievers struggle, unbelievers suffer. But when we suffer, when we grieve, we do so as those who have hope. First Peter 3.15 tells us, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense for anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, and do it with gentleness and respect. Colossians 4 affirms that. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So we're to live in a way that communicates the peace of God in our lives vertically and also horizontally in relationships with one another. The second possibility or aspect of this is the preparation or readiness or footing that comes from uh, the peace of the gospel, right? It means that we're, we're prepared for spiritual warfare. We're able to stand firm through the powerful message of the gospel, and be able to communicate that in a way that is loving and encourages others. Now, we can communicate a gospel with love and with truth. We cannot control how others respond to that. There are aspects of God's Word, aspects of how God has called us to live, that are offensive to many. So it's our job uh, to be wise. It's our job to be shrewd. It's our job to be truthful. And it's our job to be loving. And it's our job to trust the Lord with the whole rest of all of that package as that goes from one day to another. Peter O'Brien uh, kind of breaks down the divide between these two positions. He says, the standing firm can also involve carrying the attack into enemy territory of plundering Satan's kingdom by announcing the promise of divine rescue to the captives in the realm of darkness. 
Consistent with his, meaning Paul's use of military uh, image elsewhere, Paul speaks of the weapons he uses in his warfare as being divinely powerful to demolish strongholds, to overthrow arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians 10.4. This undoubtedly involves carrying the attack into enemy territory, which is clearly to an adopt an offensive stance. So it's interesting when you look at Ephesians 6:15, uh, and you're, I'm gonna we're gonna put it up on the screen here, screen here to bring back or uh, kind of bring together part of what we talked about last week and this week. Paul tells us we are to stand firm, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having put on as shoes for your feet, kind of parenthetically, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, why all the colors and the fonts and different things? So we're going to go to the next slide, just kind of help explain it. There's a pattern here, right? That there's a, a past participle, which is something that's happened in the past tense, right? But it's, a, it's, like a, it's like an adjectival verb, which means it's a verb with a description. So you think about putting on somebody's belt, right? The belt gives the description to what we're putting on, or maybe vice versa, to what would be in that, in that passage. And then there's the particular armor that Paul is referencing, and then there's a virtue or an attribute or a gift that's sort of associated with that armor. Now look at that verse again in verse 15. We are to stand firm, having fastened on the belt of truth. In other words, when we, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You'll hear me use this phrase often, that there's an already not yet. There are things that have been accomplished in us that have an enduring ongoing effect. Uh, The already not yet, we are saved. We are those who profess Christ alone as their Savior, are saved, and we are being saved. We call that sanctification. We are being continually set apart more and more for the Lord. Having put on, parenthetically as shoes for our feet, the readiness which comes by the gospel of peace, right? This is a further filling out, if you will, of what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 and following. I'm going to read a section of it, but then I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there because for the sake of example, <clears throat> Paul says, but that's not the way you learn Christ. In other words, he's saying, put off your old self, which is corrupt through its deceitful desires. So, uh, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Oh, I jumped ahead and I said this verse early. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So think about if you're changing your shirt, right? You take your old shirt off and you toss it aside. The old self is corrupt through our desires, which are deceitful to us. And we cast that aside and we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, which happens through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And then we are to put on, think about putting a shirt back on, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, and here's the first of several examples he gives, therefore, uh, having put away falsehood, you see, that, you see that having put away, when we are in Christ, when we have become united with Christ, we have put away falsehood because we are made new creatures. So we have put away falsehood, but we're still to appropriate truthfulness. Do you see how that works? We have put away a particular uh, aspect of our old self. 
We're renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then we continue to walk, or we begin to walk again in truthfulness. Why? Well, we are now members of one another. And so as he speaks about this concept, he moves into more specific ways. You can see that at the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. So here he says in chapter 6, having fastened on the belt of truth, we're to We're to put it on and stand firm in it, right? We have put it on, and we're to stand firm in the reality that we are united with Christ. So in addition to all of this that we have put on or wear, we're to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in verse 16. All circumstances, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, when you think about flaming darts, you think about an arrow, you think about an arrow and uh, something that's lit, uh, a, 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 an object on the end that's dipped in tar that's lit and it is on fire and they, you know, they rail it back or they pull it back and they shoot it. It can come in a, a variety of different forms. So we're just going to go with that one from now. Let me give you a different picture of it. I don't have this verse for the screen. Uh, but Proverbs tells us, like a madman who shoots firebrands in an open field, right? So you just think about uh, an open field uh, where there's nothing but room for fire and somebody who takes firebrand and a madman running around with a, with a bow and arrow and he's just shooting these firebrands, these arrows that are lit on fire, shooting through the air. He's just catching everything on fire. He's causing chaos everywhere he goes. So is the one who says, I am only joking. It's, it's in the Bible, Proverbs. I don't remember the reference because it's just offhand, but like a madman who shoots firebrands into an open field, so is the one who says, I was only joking. I know a lot of us are like, oh. Anyway, moving on to the, to the shield of faith. So the shield of faith would have been this thick shield. Don't think of these uh, small, round Roman uh, soldier shields that you often see that are maybe uh, you know, two feet in circumference or 18 inches in circumference that uh, you might hold on your arm like this, right? They often come in these uh, little you know, plastic outfit kits we buy for kids sometimes, right? Uh, all the Christian bookstores sell them and you can buy them all over the place. But anyway, we're talking about a shield that's two feet wide by four feet tall and is a heavy shield soaked in water so that when these firebrands come, when these arrows that are lit on fire come, they hit it and these shields are extinguishing these flames that are being shot at these soldiers. If they weren't dipped in water, the shield itself might be caught on fire or melting or the things around them for surely might be. And so these shields are able to protect against the schemes of the devil. Think about uh, reality more than just the imagery of this metaphor, right? Satan and his hosts will launch every kind of attack against God's people, against people in general. Remember, Pastor Brian talked about from verse 11 that our enemy is devising schemes, He's devising plans. He's not random. He's, he's specifically, intentionally seeking to steal and kill and destroy. Just as he did back in the Garden of Gethsemane, with, or uh, Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, and as he tried to do when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness those 40 days. And so... Not only is he devising specific schemes, he's promoting sinful behavior that we're tempted to walk in from within us, right? Uh, James tells us that temptations come from within us. 
things that we want, things that we desire. Paul referenced that in verse uh, in chapter 40, that verse you know, 20 through 24, right in there. Our temptations come from within us, but also we have an enemy who is, enemy who is working around us trying to dissuade us, trying to discourage us. And so we are to stand firm with the shield of faith, to take it up day in, day out. This isn't a shield that, that contains faith. And I know we're talking about metaphors and imagery. It's not a shield that has faith within it. Faith is the shield. Do you believe the promises of God? I'm not asking if you walk perfectly in them. I'm asking if you believe them so that when you're faced with a temptation, when you're faced with discouragement, when you're faced with a, a scheme from the devil, do you walk in belief that is lived out in action? Do you believe that God says, Satan has no power over you. Satan cannot overcome you. Satan cannot defeat you. Why? Because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose from the grave in Calvary. Jesus defeated, defeated death. Oh, death, where is your sting? There is none because we're in Christ. And so sinners trusting in Jesus who become saints worship the Lord forever and ever in glory because we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 4.10 says we're to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might, not our might, not our willpower, not our skills, in His might. First Peter says that we're to serve as one who serves by the strength which God supplies. So faith is having this confident assurance of things that we cannot see, but know to be true of God in such a way that we act upon them. So you say, well, I don't believe that this can be true. I don't see, let me use maybe a better word, I don't see how this can be true. Back up and ask yourself some elementary questions. Who is God? Is God truthful? Is God all-powerful? Is God omnipresent, all everywhere in the sense that He is able to, or that He is with me in the trial? Of course He is. Does God say that He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, right? Everything that we need for our souls, Right? We're not talking about, uh, say, sickness. There's a, there's a false gospel out there that says if you have enough faith, you won't be sick. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus had all kinds of bad things happen to him, and he had faith. So we have real illnesses that we deal with, real physical struggles that assail us, that are afflicting us. But we have real spiritual battles that we're to fight that we're to engage in. First Peter says, 5, 8, and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's not just a a first century passage. Right now, around the world, our brothers and sisters are experiencing the same or worse kinds of suffering. Think of David going up against Goliath. We read about it in 1 Samuel 15. We won't have time to go there entirely now, but there's this giant seven-foot-tall man, 
tall guy, tall dude, right? And so Goliath is coming out, and he defies the Israelites, and, and David's doing his thing as a shepherd, and his brother tells him, he says, hey, go, go and take, uh, take this meal to your, to your brothers. And so he goes to do that, um, and he gets there, and he kind of sees what's going on, right? And so he goes, and he sees that, that they are retreating from Goliath. They're afraid of this guy. Now, listen, it makes sense they're afraid of this guy. If a Goliath walked in this place right now, we'd all have probably some kind of fear that might uh, come upon us and realize, yeah, I can't take that guy by myself, you know? But what's David's motive here? This guy isn't just insulting Saul. He's not insulting me or my brothers. He's insulting the name of the Lord our God. And David takes issue with it. So David accepts Goliath's challenge. Uh, the challenge that uh, he throws down in verse 8 and 10, we'll put this on the screen here. He stood and he shouted at the ranks of Israel. This is Goliath. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, and here's the part that would have gotten David. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So David convinces Saul, let me go fight him. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? You just brought us lunch. Like, we're the warriors here. We're the soldiers here. You're this short, ruddy, kind of handsome dude that is watching out for the sheep. It's a very loose paraphrase. I didn't even think I'd call it a paraphrase. So they finally agree, and he puts on Saul's armor. Now you got this, you imagine this, you got this, this small kid who's got this warrior's armor on, and he's walking, and he doesn't, he can't even tighten the, the belt fasten, they can't even tighten the, 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 uh, the belt uh, tight enough, right? I was like, I can't, can't get it on, put something in there so there's enough thickness so it doesn't slide right off, and he's like, look, I can't fight in this, right? I mean, I turn my head, and I'm looking at the back of the helmet, I mean, it's just not going to work for anybody, you know. I'm just going to live a little bit longer before I die out there if I try to wear this stuff. They take it off, and what does he do? He goes out there. He's got a shield bearer in front of him, and he goes out there with a sling and five stones, four of which came back with him. That's confidence in the Lord. It's not confidence in his own ability. It's confidence that God will defend God's name at every occasion. God is the victor. God is the strong one. David's not the strong one. Even the way that David says it here, uh, verses 39 and 40, David says to Saul, I can't go with these with your, with your armor. I haven't tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And Saul says, you come to me with a sword and a spear, and a, I'm sorry, David says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you have defied. Brother or sister, when you come up to a trial, do you approach the trial in the name of the Lord our God? whom Satan is seeking to defy, but whom God has said, you walk in me. 
You are united with Christ. Everything that is mine is yours for the, for the keeping, for walking in righteousness and holiness and, and seeking to pursue the Lord, to honor the name of the Lord. David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of the assembly may know that the Lord God saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, and he will give you into our hand. David's not approaching him going, okay, come on, let's do this. He's with confidence was sure-footing, walking straight at him, saying, I got this, because the Lord has this. And it says in the, in the following verses, Dave ran quickly toward the battle line. I love it. It's like when God calls Abram. He tells Abram to go into the city and, or to go into a new land. What's it say? Abram got up early the next morning. He went. David ran to the battle to meet with Goliath. He slings one stone, he kills him, and he falls. And I just love this. He falls on his face prostrate. The way people who are under God's servant, servant control follow, follow. Those worshipers of God fall prostrate. Uh, those who God is sovereignly in control of fall, fall prostrate. I don't want to make too much out of it, but I just love the fact that he falls face down, prostrate, because the Lord gave him into his hand. David knew his weakness he knew that he would not be able to go up against this soldier on his own terms or according to his own timing. But it was clear that the Lord brought David for this time, for this place. And he runs to the line of battle with confidence. As we take up the shield of faith, it's, 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 it's apparent that we need to know our weaknesses. We need to know where we're stronger in the Lord. We need to know where we're weaker in the Lord. And we need to take up the shield of faith accordingly. We do need to devise plans that, devise plans that, that are consistent with the Word of God and, and how God will help us in this, this basic trust, this faith in Christ that appropriates, picks up the salvation that is ours and continues to bring blessing and strength as we trust the Lord for our daily provision, our daily help, as we walk with joy, even in the midst of situations where we're uncertain or we're, 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 if we're honest, we're not clear about how this is all going to go down. But I'm going to try to take these next steps in the strength that God supplies. I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to run to the battle line because Satan is trying to defy the name of the Lord. We have no need to shake in our boots for whether or not we can overcome a spiritual challenge. Now, sometimes we approach a spiritual challenge in our own strength, with our own confidence. I've done that many times. And the Lord lets me fall. Because He wants to remind me, as a loving Father does, that it's not by my strength, it's not by my wits that I'm going to walk before the Lord, but with humility, trusting the Lord and walking in faith. Verse 17, we're to take the helmet of salvation, right? The Roman soldiers, they had this bronze helmet um, and it was padded in the, in, in, on the sides and um, Isaiah 59 talks about it. Um, 
having a, 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 a I'm, I'm reading here, I have two paragraphs on my notes in different places. So, take the helmet of salvation. Our salvation is secure because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid the full penalty for every sin that we have committed. And so Satan has two dangerous edges of his sword. He wants to discourage us and he wants to bring doubt. In discouragement, he points us to our own failures. He points us to our own sins. He points us to our own struggles or whatever else in our life seems to be at his disposal, whatever else we're, we're prone to in our weaknesses, like a chess player who knows how to get us to focus over here so that he can come and bring attack on another side. He wants to discourage us. He wants to bring doubt, which is one of the most discouraging things for those who are Christians. I have talked to countless people who are, who are very in, uh, unsure of their salvation, and it usually it usually comes down to how well they are following the Lord. Uh, sometimes I don't immediately say, oh, oh you're, you're a Christian, because I don't necessarily know enough of their, um, their testimony of turning from themselves to follow the Lord that I can confidently tell them they're saved. I don't know their heart. But as I talk with people and I, and, and I get to understand people and, and they begin to share part of their story with me, what it usually becomes pretty clear is that there's a point where they uh, believe uh, in all sincerity that they have repented of their sins and trusted Christ alone for their salvation. But then as they walk the walk of faith, they realize they've stopped reading the Bible that they once were so excited about. They, they, they've stopped living with the importance and the primacy of the word of, of the body of Christ being as important to them as it once was. They're going to trust how they are doing uh, in, their, uh, in their own walk. And they realize they've slipped here, they've failed here, they've sinned here. And what they begin to attribute their salvation to is how well they perform. As if they perform well enough, it will outweigh their wrongdoings even after the point of becoming a Christian. Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. I don't bring anything to the table except my sin. For where I am weak, the Lord is strong. And so this helmet of salvation is where the, where the enemy will try to come and assail your mind and bring doubt and bring discouragement. Jesus said, I come to bring you peace. Peace I leave you, John 14, 27. My peace I give to you. Not, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 1 John 2, 3, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, someone said this, uh, taught this to me when I was in college, and it was just really, really helpful. Uh, when, you, when you're discouraged and when you're doubting your salvation or your love for the Lord or, or the genuineness of, of your salvation, whatever the case might be, are you looking at a snapshot? Are you looking at a still picture, a photograph of a moment in time? Maybe there are 10 moments, 30 moments, whatever. Or are you looking at the movie strip of the last, whatever, however many years? If you look at the movie strip of your life and you say, you know, I think I genuinely am trusting in the Lord. But boy, I failed here and I failed here. We say, don't believe the enemy's lies. If you believe that you're genuinely trusting in Christ, that's the general trajectory of your life. And let's be clear, 
when somebody becomes a Christian, there's not this nice, even slope of spiritual growth. Let me tell you. Right? If you're laughing, you know. Right? You, you, you might, uh, and Pastor Andrew Davis writes about this well in, in one of the best discipleship books I've ever read. But um, I'm drawing a blank on the title right now. It's blue and I can picture the font, but I can't get the title. It'll come to me. But he draws in the back of it several, and it, I'm sure it didn't originate with him, but uh, several charts. You know, you may become uh, trusting Christ here. You may experience a little bit of growth. And, and your life may just plateau for a period. And then you may hit a devastating trial or a deep sin that wrecks you for days, weeks, months, maybe years even. But then the Lord gets a hold of your heart again and he begins to help you see how all of these things that have happened in your life, the high points, the low points, God intends to use for your good and for his glory. And much of my ministry caring for people involves stories of my own failure and there are I, like, I don't have to think too hard on it. You know, it's not like I have to go to the book of, oh, let me try to find a time when I failed. You know, it's like right when I need it, and I'm trying to talk with somebody about something that, that's going on. You know, I've got like, well, I'm not going to tell you how many, but many instances of my own failures that I'm able to bring up as, of, as examples or testimonies of how the Lord's faithful, even in the midst of my own failures. And they're not like 20 years ago. It's often like, you know, last night I, you know, my tone with my wife was really not, you know, wonderful or whatever the case might be. Lots of examples of my own life. My confidence is in, in how well I do, but that doesn't mean I don't strive. We get up, we spend time in the Word, we fellowship with God, we engage with the body of Christ, and we make it our aim to please the Lord. My, my primary mission in this life is not a, a career or a job or anything like that. I mean, thankfully, I get to serve the church as my, my job, if you will. The church provides for our needs so that we can minister here in the body of Christ. But if, if you work a secular job, your, your, your goal, your life's mission is not the job itself, but how the, the Lord might use that job as a platform for your ministry to others. Don't get distracted on, on climbing a ladder or making more money or pleasing more people or getting a certain title. Make it your mission to say, you know, if it's the Lord's will for me to get this promotion so that I can glorify him, then so be it. But if I need to see the Lord or uh, the Lord allows somebody else to get promoted, maybe in a way that I don't think is even fair, in order for me to glorify God, Lord, I welcome it with open arms because I don't live for the job. I live for you. And the last thing he says in this subset here is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit is the source of our power or, or of this sword. It's the Spirit of God that makes the sword, the, the, the Word of God, powerful and effective. It's the Spirit of God which allows us to live in such a way where, where Paul would say, uh, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom. We don't have wisdom to give. We have the Spirit's wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. 
We are in a real spiritual war. I think if, if the Lord would, would, would momentarily give us the ability to see uh, everything that's going around us in the heavenly realms, for just a moment, we would be overwhelmed. We would be incredibly overwhelmed. Those things aren't ours to worry about. But the things that the Lord puts in front of us, the spiritual battles that the Lord has put in front of us, we're to focus our minds on and our efforts on in glorifying the Lord as we trust Him, walking with the whole of the armor of God. I'm going to punt on these next uh, eight verses 18 through 20 until next week for time's sake. But I think the question I want to leave us with is, whether or not you're engaged in what might seem like a significant spiritual battle right now, are you appropriating the power that God has given you through the Spirit of God in the armor of God, all of it? It's like we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a package deal. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not like, oh, I'll take joy today. No. As we abide in Christ, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. For walking in the Spirit, these things will be evident in varying capacities, in varying levels of whatever in our, in our lives. We think about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, which we often talk about at this time when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But Jesus' preparation for the Garden of Gethsemane began when he, when he was tempted 40 days and the nights in the wilderness when he fasted and he was tempted. It began when he peeled away from the crowd in order to spend time with his father. He, he prepared for the Garden of Gethsemane when he was up early in the morning to be out and to pray and to talk with the Lord. You may not be in the midst of a heavy spiritual battle right now. Maybe it's because you're not engaged, period. But you will be one day, and your preparation for that begins the moment you face the challenge to take up the armor of God and to stand firm. We don't take communion. We don't drink this juice representing Jesus' blood that was shed for us or this little piece of bread that represents his body being broken for our sins and drink this with a confident assurance that I'm doing well. The reason we do this and why Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him is to remind us that he has done well. That he endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy that was set before him so that we might walk in union with him. And if that's your confidence, if that's your profession, we invite you to come and to the front two corners or in the back if you need to stay seated, that's fine. Just lift up your hand and someone will gladly come and, and serve you. Heavenly Father, there is a lot here for us to soak in and to, to, uh, to take in. And we ask you for your help in that. Lord, we thank you that you have done everything that we need for our salvation. We thank you that you are the one who sustains our salvation. You are the one who gives us the effort, the, the intellect, the wisdom, the strategy in your word to know how to face the enemy, to face our foe. Father, I pray for those this morning that are finding themselves just generally discouraged. Father, I pray that you would encourage them 
I pray that you would encourage them, uh, maybe from another brother or sister in Christ who's able to bring your word, but that you would use your word in encouraging one another because we, 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 we want to rest in the confident truths that your word give us because all, all the time they lead us back to you for our confidence. We love you. Thank you that we get to remember your death on the cross. That's the most awful thing that has ever happened in the universe. And it is also the most beautiful thing to remember for those who are your children. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.